0: If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus.
1: Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moore. So this week on the podcast, we have the brilliant Manus Halligan. Manist is an actor and a voiceover artist, whose voice I think you are got to recognise very, very quickly. He's a super talented and successful voiceover artist here in Ireland and further afield. Uh, his theatre work uh, includes Inside the GPO with Fishamble, uh, The Poor Little Boy with No Arms, that's with One Duck, and then She Stoops to Conquer and King Lear at the Abbey, and you might have seen him uh, on the TV in bits and bobs like Rebellion and uh, My Life, or Ireland, which was a, a gorgeous little short film, um, as well as this, Manus is uh, involved in a really exciting fringe show. Uh, it's a, a children's show, but it's, I've seen Bombinate's work. Okay, and Bombinate are the company who've done it, and it, you know it's one of these things where it's kind of framed as a children's show, but it's really for everyone. Their show Half Light, which is coming back again later this year, is honestly one of my favourite pieces of theatre I've ever seen. And they're back this year with Susie and the Story Shredder. Now, the team behind it is brilliant. It's Manis and Clodagh Mooney Duggan on stage. The music is being done by Michael David McKiernan and, uh, and Molly Malumby and Ursula McGinn are behind everything from the direction and the design and all that wonderful stuff. Uh, they're a great company. They're really lovely people. And they deserve your support. So they're on in the Cube. Uh, they their lunchtime show, which is really lovely as well. Um, as I said, it's totally suitable for kids. It's that Saturday. Uh, and Sunday September 8th and 9th at 1.15 and then Saturday and Sunday 15th and 16th uh, of September and that's an 11 o'clock and a 1.15 on both those days. So you can check out all the details at FringeFest.com but go and check out Susie and the story share, because um The guy's work is brilliant, and I'm so excited to check it out. Uh, In other news, if this intro sounds a little bit weird, it's because I'm recording it uh, first thing in the morning uh, after getting a a very, very cool night train from Krakow to Prague. It's really weird being away from Dublin for this long. I haven't done it in a while. I know that might sound like a weird thing to say, but as an adult, I've never really gone on holidays. Does that make sense? So this is a really enjoyable... uh Little time um, for me, and um, yeah, so just having the crack here. But as I said, the podcast will keep coming, so um, please do enjoy this wonderful episode with the brilliant Manus Halligan playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moore. Manus Halligan ready to play personality bingo? Yep. All right, let's do it. So a quick explanation of how it all works. Uh, I've got 60 minutes on the clock here. I've got 60 bingo balls in here and 60 corresponding questions. I've also given you five numbers on a yep. sheet of paper there. Would you do me a
2: favor and read out the five? Four, 24, 57, very good number, mm. 51, 36 and nine.
1: Nice Would well, you me a favourite Pick uh, another number Something that's not there Between 1 and 60
2: Oh I did I chose 9 9 so oh, That, was, that was a number I wrote down Yeah nice one Okay 9 Any reason Um, 9 I'm into football yeah. And I started playing um, 6 a side Out in Kilmacud in the cages In St school School right. And number 9 Was the jersey number Given to me Because I play up front For them And yeah I think it's a good Solid number And we're now getting Into the Premier League Tonight so Yes I'm very much a football On the brain The fancy football team Has gone in it's it's getting big. It's getting serious. Who's the captain for week one? Captain for week one is Salah. Okay. Although, kind of, my last year I was a medieval for because it's not real that I like taking chances with fancy football yeah. just to up the stakes for myself. Um, that I almost wanted to pick uh, Firmino this week. That Salah might have a slow start to the Premier League this year mm. because teams are used to him and are going to be defending their, their their whole defensive structure is going to be based around Salah, even though they've got loads of class players. Um are you a Liverpool fan? From, you know, no, I'm a Newcastle fan. Oh, are you? Yeah, so I have a good, like, knowledge around other teams based on the fact that Newcastle, you don't get stuck in a bubble with Newcastle because you can't or else you'll get depressed and sad. Yeah. Because we're never, the only thing we've won the last, like, 60 years is two championship titles because we were relegated twice. And we got back up straight away, which is an achievement, but you're never holding out that, oh, we're going to be in the top six this year. It's We're always 12th. Well, uh, until uh, we're not until uh, we're bottom.
1: I'm a Spurs fan, so I think Newcastle and Spurs both probably had the saddest transfer windows. Uh, I mean, yeah. Newcastle in the sense like they made like a twenty eight million profit, which is just kind of like lads, come on. And then Spurs <laughs> didn't, didn't sign anyone. Yeah, like oh, we tight like
2: Spurs. Just Daniel Levy, just like won't. Just holds on to those purse strings, really nice and tight. But you've a great team, great team, great team. There's no reason like he could have sold Deli Ali yeah. to like Real Madrid or someone would have had him yeah. for loads of money. You need him. He's nice and young, and he's been there for ages. He knows the structure of the team. Pochettino's great manager, and he'll be going to some massive team once he leaves.
1: It's just a matter of. If something happens to Harry Kane, where do the yes. goals come from? Where, like, where yeah. do the 30 goals come from, you know what yeah, I mean?
2: Yeah, you're not expecting Son to be racking in big goals, although I really like Son. Yeah, me too. he's not like Harry Kane. No, he
1: might, he might get you, you know, 18 goals, something like that, you know? That's yeah,
2: and that'll be... Um, that's...
1: Fantastic. He was around that last season. He was great. Anyway, look, I could talk about. they just turn yeah, to the yeah, yeah, captains. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I should say that uh, if all six of them numbers do come out, the tables are turned and you can ask me uh, any football or non football related question and Excellent. I will give you a totally honest answer. Uh, yeah. Right, we'll be we, uh, good to spin. Mm. All right, here we go. First out the gate, we have number 30. Do you have it? 30, I do not. No worries. Number 30. The question is what is your worst habit?
2: My worst habit. Um, well, straight at the gate, I'd guess, biting my nails. Oh, yeah. I'm horrible at biting my nails. When I was very young, my mother used to even, like, go to the pharmacy and buy that horrible, clear, varnish thing that you put on your nails that uh, makes, if you've got to bite it, it's a disgusting taste. Yeah. Um, so that would be my main habit. But other than that, like, slow to get out of bed. But if I need to get out of bed, I'll absolutely get out of bed. But yeah. if I don't, I'm a sucker for just staying in for the extra, like, hour and a half or two hours. Yeah. But biting my nails, although I've gotten much better with my nails, like there's four nails, like Absolutely. You know what I mean? And that's a that's a that's a new development, is it? It is. Over the last two years I've noticed I'm like, oh, I'm actually biting my nails. Usually I bite my nails when I'm in the cinema. So I go to the cinema a lot during the day mm. and on my own. And if I'm just watching a film, I just find my hand going to my mouth more and more. And once I start to bite a nail, I have to finish it. Interesting. That's the so It's that constant I don't know if it's a nervy thing or just something you do when you're so gross and something the rest of your body is doing that you don't even realise you're doing.
1: Yeah. My experience with that nail paint was I used to suck my thumb. but Until I... And like it was very strange I think I stopped when I was 13 Which is very late to mm. stop And Absolutely, I had zero yeah. desire to stop Like I was in secondary yeah, yeah, school yeah. Sucking my thumb And I just didn't care Like and I, w- I Like I just I just It was just like my comfort thing Do you know what I mean like, Yeah yeah just, yeah I loved it And uh, yeah eventually I had to stop Because it was kind of messing with my teeth You know It was okay, putting yeah. them shape But that, that paint is rough Yeah yeah it's yeah It's It is
2: It's mm, there's a few things you know That taste like That I can't stay on air But yeah 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 it's yeah, yeah. It's right. right let's <laughs> give another spin <laughs> Uh, here we go
1: next at the gate we have number 53
2: oh I do not have it oh you don't
1: I no, was 56. 57 that's right 57 um 51 okay uh, what is the greatest piece of art you've ever witnessed anything from film theatre music comedy concerts any
2: piece of art um, I, I like always sticks to me I absolutely adored uh, the production that um, they did in Galway Arts was the landmark who did it with Killy Murphy mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Man Mm. when Enda Walsh rewrote Mr. Man to make it into like an hour long show or an hour and ten or whatever it was um, that had everything like one person on stage in the massive warehouse theatre that they had but you're able to follow it you felt like it was almost you could, even though you're so far away you felt like you're like a close-up of a film constantly with him the sound design was remarkable the set was so industrial um, and it just, I don't know everything, every single aspect of it just hit me so hard I was in Mr. Man when I was younger. So it was kind of like, okay, the script's kind of changed a bit. And this is how they're doing all the different characters that he meets along the way. And just Murphy Murphy's absolutely outstanding on stage. Like, every night. Like, everything I've seen him in, he's just, like, sweating buckets at the end. Not that you need to be sweating, but he just happens to be constantly playing those very physical roles. Like, in mm-hmm. Bally Turk. And he just gives it his all. And he's so, like, beyond believable, just... Even if he, you're out of the moment, not even looking at him as his character, just as a performer, he's giving it 110% every single show. Yeah. And that really sticks in your memory when you're remembering a show. It's always, I like hone in the performances. Uh, I think Mr. Man. Um, other big... like I've seen a few dance shows. I remember Love and Knotts that uh, Kush came did years ago, upstairs in the project. I do love going to see dance shows in general because mm. they're just like... You can just sit there and just let it kind of wash over you. Yet. They don't get too too in decan, but they usually don't get too intense there's no big dialogue and scenes where people are throwing dialogue back and forth you can just listen to the lovely music the lighting's always gorgeous and the dancing's always fantastic just love going to dance shows but no other one that's jumping out at me
1: yeah speaking about Killian Murphy right do you have I was thinking about this today for myself do you have like a an actor or a person whose career arc or like range or whatever it might be that you really admire if you were to pick someone
2: Killian Murphy really like yeah like to go from to go from down to Cork doing Disco Pigs and being pally with Andrew Walter and and then to all of a sudden be doing like obviously bigger bigger shows and then getting cast in massive movies like he's such an integral part in the movie Inception you constantly forget about it um that he's the main person they're constantly trying to incept their minds and Killian Murphy's brilliant in it Dunkirk, he's got that lovely role where he's just playing this kind of cowardly character. You can't necessarily blame him, um, going into war, but he has all these massive and then you've um obviously Peaky Blinders. He plays mm-hmm. all these like a vast array of characters, but every you get a feeling that every director in Hollywood would love to have him in the movie, yet he doesn't like live in LA and he's got his family and back here, and I just think that's very, very admirable to have that he doesn't like. He could have been the young actor who's from Ireland, who does a like Colin Farrell and goes over to LA and just lives there and lives the LA life. He very much travels for work, shoots the movies or goes over to London, shoots the movies and comes back. And that's extremely admirable, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's very cool then that, he, you know, he'll take those that two months and do, you know, a weird theatre gig. Exactly, in, yeah. You know, which' it's great.
2: Yeah, yeah he's... Uh, End of Walsh <laughs> must be so lucky. Also, it works both ways because End of Walsh is fantastic as well, but... To always be like, oh, Ender's got a new play, wants you to be in it. Fantastic. It's probably an amazing role. I know Ender's writing really well, so I can fit in there. And it's like, it's the kind of dream, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's to pretty be, sweet. To be slot in with a writer like that.
1: Yeah. Big time. Right, let's give it a spin. Go on, four. <laughs> it's not four, it's 52. Oh, my God. We're hanging out in the 50 today. Yeah. Number 52, the question is... uh Oh, that's an aggressive question. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself?
2: About myself? Yeah. Um, Well, I can't grow a beard. ah. So, like, uh, getting that out there. Because by acting, when you're going for auditions for things like ads or, like, minor roles in TV shows, you're cast off your looks 90% of the time. And a lot of the time, you'll read the brief and you're going into auditions like, this person is 32 and... Uh, has recently bought a new home and is probably quite hipstery and will have a beard and it's like ah. and i from knowing doing ads you know the writers are so specific about their idea that they don't want to change their idea because it feels like they're being maybe a bit weak and they want to just be very gung-ho and they think this is exactly how it is and maybe they're dead right um but it's always been the one that's been like i don't have a beard i don't think i'm going to get this or i look too young because i don't have a beard
1: yeah. So if you don't, if you like, do you shave at all? Yeah. And so what happens? Oh if yeah,
2: yeah. If I don't shave, I get a little bit of uh, bum fluff uh, on my chin. I could grow a bit of a tash if I wanted, and have done that before. But even then, it's not very noticeable if it's on stage, or it would have to be a close up and be like, is that a bit of a tash there, <laughs> on there? Oh, it is. Uh, no, so I, t- I tend to just keep clean shaving constantly. I Had a shave yeah. this morning. But yeah. I shave like once a week maybe a bit over a week, once every eight, nine days. It's pretty handy. Um, and because I have fair hair, I might well imagine it would immediately go fair to like gingery, the usual Irish beard. Yeah. So it's not very noticeable when it's there. I'd have to leave it for ages and it just annoys me, so I just get rid of the whole thing. Sweet.
1: right, yeah. let's give it a spin All right, here we go. I like this. There's a good pace to this episode. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> Number 23, do you have it?
2: I do not. No worries. Number I'm 23. 23.
1: Uh, when was the last time you said a prayer?
2: I said a prayer. Um... Well, I guess excluding things like "Oh God, help us" and those little things that uh, little Irish sayings that people say, which aren't really prayers. There, you're more talking to yourself, I think. Um, said a prayer, like a like a like well, a Catholic upbringing, like a Catholic prayer kind of thing. I guess so. I, like, I don't know. Like, I never, I never spend too much of my time, my self time, like praying for a greater being to like urge me on or anything like that. I kind of like like to use my surroundings to be what's actually real that's actually happening that I can use to make me feel better to uh to make this job go better to help me along the way with anything to help other family members or whatever. I tend to think that that's very like wishy-washy and not uh not a very technical physical thing that you can do to help someone or help yourself or mm-hmm. whatever. So, if it had put someone in a greater mind space, absolutely, I'm all for it, but it's not for me, so I just don't pray. Mm. When I was young, I was bet into the Illustra- the Illust- the Children's Illustrated Bible, and I loved reading that. It was like a big, hardback, kind of big, like A4, bigger than that even, Um big thing with pictures and it covers Moses and the Red Sea's part and the land and then there's manna from heaven and oh god there's a golden cow and it was all very fantastical and amazing and for some reason I was just bed into it and I was a uh altar boy up until I was about until I went to secondary school I think like 11 12 that kind of thing Mm. um and like the whole stage craft of mass of, you've got your main character, who I guess you could say is God, but the main character you can see is the priest. Then you've got the people who give out the communion, the Eucharistics. Oh, I don't even know. The, um, And then uh, you've got all the altar boys and they're ringing the bell. And they're, uh, it was just like, I just enjoyed doing that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, pray. no, I haven't said a prayer in yonks.
1: And what's your relationship now to your, like, Catholic upbringing? How do you look back
2: on it? Um... I look back on I I don't look back on a waste of time because it's a very funny society or event or thing that was on. You meet everyone on the Sunday, get to half-eleven mass, maybe rocking around 20 to uh, <laughs> late with the family, sit up in the front left pew with the family where we always were. Um, and then it was, it was all about afterwards. Mm-hmm. One, the crack you'd have during mass with my brother Jack, who was around same image, I am just slightly younger. And we'd have a lot of just mess and a lot of like flicking of the ear from your mom to shut up. Um, but it was always afterwards going down to newsagents into town, getting your football stickers, getting whatever magazine your match or your shoot or whatever it was at the time, uh, getting your your sweets, your bars of chocolate, and uh, heading home and just devouring them in front of Sunday TV, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, it was like the, it's the start of your Sunday, which was always a great relaxed day. So it you can't remove it from the Sunday. It was part of that day for years, up until my parents walked in one day maybe they were maybe they were at a party or they're hungover, or they were tired for some reason and they were like listen do you want to go to mass no cool and then we stopped going to mass and that was that was the end of it so the only time ever in the church is the odd wedding even though they're even getting fewer and fewer more people are getting married in the middle of a field or just not in churches um or funerals the big one would be funerals. Yeah. It's basically the only time in the church.
1: Yeah, it's 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 funny, like, when you were saying that, it was... Because they're, they're very evocative memories of, like, just the shop after whatever. Mm. I went through this weird phase where... Uh, I don't know what age I would have been. Maybe, let's say, like, 11 or... Probably 10, 11... And I used to go, start going by myself. So, Mam and dad, when I was going to the yeah. half eleven one, and I oh. go, I go to nine o'clock because I wanted the free gaff. You know yeah, what okay. I mean? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine yeah. in the morning, like yeah, nine in the yeah, morning, yeah. yeah. And I go and I'd sit in. Do, do you have a crying room in your church? Like the little room off to the side where like it was for babies? Yes, and
2: stuff. we do. New, it's a new and well, new is in like ten years. I remember when it was built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So I, I I I I used to go in there and I, I made great friends and I I. I she's probably not alive now, she was old, like this very elderly woman and she just thought it was great that I was, you know, this you know, 11 year old or ever rocking up yeah, by yeah, myself at yeah. nine in the morning and uh, yeah, it was, it's funny though but it's funny I, and, and like the real reason why I did it was because I, I liked having the house to myself then when the rest of the family would go. I was
2: going to ask you, what were you doing in the house to yourself then I, when they were all at mass? I
1: used to, well I used to go across to the shop and I go and I, I like, I, I used to go across and I get a breakfast roll and I'd get shite like, do you know what I mean? Like way too much of it, and it's very bad for the environment. And then yeah. I used to to hide it. I used to fuck the papers over the neighbor's uh, wall because there was kind of a building site behind the house. Okay, yeah, There's yeah. renovations yeah. going on, and I used to just fuck it over. Like you know, the crime was yeah, was in with all the other builders, yeah, <laughs> filler roll wrappers. Yeah, exactly. Sure we're there. So um, but yeah, mass Gosh, like, yeah, and it, it, that's true. It's very funny when when that time comes where your parents kind of make that call or like we've done enough of this. Like, yeah. it, it,
2: They'd, like they like they, weren't very holy they would have been when they are young like absolutely like any parents kind of our age or whatever growing up in rural Ireland my mum's from Clare my dad's from Westmead and they would constantly be in churches up until effectively up until they moved out of Dublin and I actually don't know if they went to mass when they moved up to Dublin I actually don't know um, probably not I can't imagine my dad or my mum going to mass on their own or with their mates but um, but yeah, they they're so used to it and then when they grow up and have kids, I don't know what what happened that they were just like, Church isn't for me, or probably everything that was in the news. Um, Beth Catholic Church, they were just like, No, this isn't. We don't want to go. If the kids want to go, they absolutely would have brought us and sat with us, absolutely. But we were just like, No, I just want to watch like reruns of Soccer AM or go out and kick ball. Totally. Spend that on Sunday before you go back to school.
1: Yeah, it's It's funny like it'll be
2: so interesting now like
1: as like our generation of you know 15 years yeah
2: where like we've grown up and we are now parents of like say 10 to 15 year olds are they going to mass or what's their substitute for religion or thoughts existential thoughts i guess in general yeah what's it all about
1: and like and and, and in terms of the churches and like priests it's really funny i have a a guy I went to school with, he was the year ahead of me, and I would have been good friends with his younger brother. He is a priest, okay, uh, yeah. and like it's 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 so bizarre because I was in I was back in my old school voting um, for the repeal, uh, and the, this this priest rocked up in uh, like full full gear. Do you know what I mean? And I was like, oh my God, that's that's my 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 mate from school. It was just so bizarre, you know, because.
2: I don't you, know. You don't see that these days. You, you don't just, see like young priests. You just don't see them. You just don't. Yeah.
1: Like it's 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 incredible. So it but it, it is so funny. Like, I mean I did you ever have notions like that was something that you'd want to do as a as a kid because I definitely did oh, if I was did.
2: very young definitely it would have been like oh priests are great and they get to meet everyone in the community and they've got their jobs and just the idea it was all like very painted out in my head and I was reading so much it was mainly because I was reading so much of this Ch- children's illustrated bible in no way reading the actual bible with all the fucking all the, the bible um but you're like, oh God, I could do this then. It's okay, I know all the stories and all the parables and I know all these and why couldn't I? And then you're like, oh, wait a minute, they can't get married and they can't, they live very lonely lives in parochial houses with like their housemaid or the house lady who makes their dinner and stuff and they go out the middle of the country and talk to sick people and organise their funerals. You're like, oh, wait a minute, now that I'm old enough to think about real life, not through the glaze of this, young kid uh through the filter of like a young kid's eyes um you're like no absolutely it's the last job in the world i want
1: yeah i mean for me like the deal breaker is just that you can't like get married or you can't like have
2: sex yeah you can't have relationships with anyone yeah it's that's just it and it's so weird how like surely that's gonna have to be it's very weird in the sacrament of marriage is such a big thing and they want people to like the Catholic Church's big goal is constantly having loads of kids so they can spread the word of the Catholic, and we've got so many numbers in our Catholic religion, but f- for your head, the person who speaks from the Pope, who speaks from God, to be not allowed to get into a relationship or marry is just, like, hilarious. It's so ironic. It's mental. I just don't understand it at all. And when you go to marriages and you're there at the altar and you know the two people getting married are your mates and they're only getting there because they want to get their kid in some... South Dublin fee paying school and it's Catholic or whatever and that's the only reason they're there it's like only reason uh, and maybe maybe their parents want them to get married in a church um, but that's just like the priest is talking about Jesus and he's going to take care of you and you know Jesus will always be in your life and the priest is trying to chat about love and their sermon always starts with now I know I can't get married and you're all thinking what's well, a priest up here talking about love and you're like yeah yeah we are thinking that like, yeah, can you give us an answer to that at all? And no, they'll just go on about wishy-washy, Jesus going to look after you, and g- g- God in the home is a good home, and it's no one is actually... Everyone's just got their smartphones out, taking photos of the lovely couple, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, That it just seems, the whole thing just seems very, very false. But I've been to, like, a lot of weddings recently, and most of them were not in churches. Right. And they're such lovely ceremonies. People can write their own vows, actually the groom and bride was like the one the one I went I was at last uh, weekend outside of Brussels and they're just lovely lovely vows that came from the heart of the people that are there there's no priest trying to basically rewrite the vows for them in a way and always try to get God into the into the, your, your, your vows um, and it just seemed like lovely ceremonies mm. like there's no signing the register at the end they've done that in some civil ceremony in town or whatever and Everyone's just there in such a good mood. There's no one trying to put on a face. They're just like, lovely, lovely ceremonies. Um, that I almost hate going to church weddings.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I and like going to, going to so many weddings and stuff. Like, do, do you start to like categorize the things that that uh, that you know? If you were to go down that route, like that, like oh, I like that, like is that is that how
2: it works? I haven't. No, I haven't actually thought about that. But mainly because I've been there with loads of friends who are engaged and they're thinking that. So I'm thinking about what they're thinking about yeah, as opposed yeah. to being in my own. head, like, Jesus, if I was married now, I've never thought about myself getting married at all, really I've never been a person to get into relationships mm. um, at all. So I'm never like constantly in the right. Oh God, if I was at a wedding, I planned this and stuff. But I do have thrown many New Year's Eve parties back in my family gaffing cabin that I know how I would have the afters certainly. You're right. But I don't know about flowers, what I well, what I would wear. Have I even no, I haven't thought about what I'd wear, but I'd certainly go a bit out there, mm. I think. Um, definitely. Because um, it's it's just a show. The whole thing's just a bit of crack, like Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. need to go in your like black and white, perfect suit with the flower and all the lads look the same and all the girls get the choice of wearing lovely dresses, um, that I'd be a bit out there. I think in my own dress and I hope everyone else will be. But yeah, no, I haven't really thought about how I would plan a wedding.
1: Yeah, and in terms of then, like uh, we were saying about not being one for relationships generally speaking, is that is that like is that a, is that in connection with like
2: career stuff and being busy with that or just a general disinterest? Definitely part of it. It's tough, like when I see people in long distance relationships or people in relationships who then move. Or someone now has a job in London and therefore has to move to London and the other person is going to go with them. And that's hunky dory or isn't and hope that they're only going to be there for two years and to do a long distance thing, which I would never do. Um, but yeah, it's like the active thing is like, no, I'm set up in Dublin here. So I have to live in Dublin or if I, ha- well, I was lucky enough to have a house near enough Dublin in the suburbs or in the countryside in Mead or even in Calvin, it's. It's only like an hour and 50 minute drive from my house to wrap minds, Mm. um, which is not a long time at all. Mm -mm. Um, But they, the person would have to be happy with that. Mm. And it's always a kind of a trickier one of like, I don't know many people, but as well, I don't know many people who would get with actors. It's always a thing as well people tend to t- shy away from actors, which is totally fair because so many of them are absolutely bonkers. Um, <laughs> that, like, stay away from actors, kids. Uh, and don't be an actor, kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it definitely would play a part in it. But if also, like, I really like my own time mm. and, and I guess I haven't met the person yet.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I mean, even, like, even... Uh, say like at the moment, right? Like you know, it's 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 one thing if you're in rehearsals, but I, I'm in the run of a, a show right now. And mm. even if you're trying to, if you were trying to go on a date, you know, you know, ninety percent of people are probably on a ten to six, nine to five schedule. And then you know, my schedule is literally like about six yeah. till eleven, so, yeah. sort yeah. of thing. So it's so, like it's actually next yeah, to impossible. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. why actors get with actors, you know, yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. Maybe they match that. You know, what you're saying like bonkersness, but like, um, it's very funny, you know.
2: Yeah. Also, some people aren't used to like people not working. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas people, they're in steady jobs and you're... Like, I don't have a part-time job. Um, so I would fill my days with playing video games, playing football, going to the cinema loads, going to see shows, doing anything. Um, but having... I could go, like, two weeks. could go a month with not doing any any kind of even a short-term work for, like, a week or whatever. might have a voiceover here or there. Mm. Um, but the money, like, covers me for that. No fingers crossed that the next gig will come up pretty soon mm. but some people aren't as well would we'll be like oh my god you're sitting at home all day like that kind of thing yeah. okay. and I'm working whatever and it's like yeah you were doing that and I'm doing that and we, 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 we made our choice when we were in college yeah. and I'm happy with mine
1: I know <laughs> right let's give it a spin here we go number 33 do you have it?
2: I don't. all the threes. No worries.
1: Number 33. Uh, question. Are you the oldest, youngest, or middle child in my family? I'm the
2: third. And it's, I always think it's a godsend. The third of four. Uh-huh. So my eldest brother... Now, we're all pretty close to each other. I think my brother Frank is about 34 this year. So he's 33. My sister's 32, Annie. And then I'm 30. And Jack is 29. Mm. So we're all quite close, the four of us. Um, But being the third kid is great. Frank's the eldest... The parents would have doted over him. Annie's the only girl in the family. Then Jack is the youngest. And I kind of slot into this, like, invisible area where you can kind of get away with stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There's no too much pressure. You're not the, like... Like, Mam would still refer to Jack as a little baby. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which, obviously, parents would do. Um, But it just means that I'm this one in the family that they don't... I don't know. As well, I'm not into... I don't have, like, Jack was a doctor he's now into business um, uh, Annie is pharmacist and Frank is into computer, computers and I'm the kind of like into art wishy washy they kind of just let me kind of do what I am I don't feel much pressure on me at all to like be ridiculously successful or be like make my parents look great because his man is doing well um, yeah so I just don't feel any like pressure and my parents are class anyway so it makes it all very easy
1: do you think there was there is, there is anything to... You said, you know, you slot into that kind of invisible pocket.
2: Do you think there's anything to becoming an actor and kind of a, look at me, I stand
1: on stage in front of X men of
2: people, to that? Uh, possibly. Mm. Possibly. Yeah, I don't know what, what it is that makes someone want to be an actor. Or it's not even want to be an actor. What, at some point in your life, did you think it was okay to stand up in front of a load of people and recite a load of lines in your head playing a character? Mm. Like, what makes you want to do that? Because mm. most people would not do that. Would absolutely shy away from that. Um like even people who read poetry, my dad writes poetry as well, and you see it readings like old, uh, older people getting up in front of people reading their poem that they wrote, and they're absolutely breaking it, because just, they just don't do public speaking or anything like that at all, and they might know some of the people there, and that makes it worse. Some people love it when there's people in the audience, and they thrive off that. I'd be more of the, I love not knowing anyone in the crowd. I don't mind if knowing if they are in, but I like the idea of performing to people I don't know. Sure. Um... Because the people there that you know are just going to be, yeah, that was lovely. That was great. Whereas at least you're getting real reactions from the people who don't know you and I don't know them. It's a bit more real. Um, Yeah, I don't know if what. If you're third, yeah, I don't really know. I guess, I guess maybe it does help. Well, I guess me and my brother Jack, because we were two youngest and we were always shared a room together that we're used to being loud and acting the actual bollocks. Mm. That... It makes getting in front of all people and trying to do something, especially like comedies, you're expecting laughs, a bit easier. Just a bit easier.
1: Yeah. What, what was it, uh, like, do, do, you, do you think there's a, um, like, if you weren't to do this, is there something else to, that you would have gone into?
2: I don't know. Like, I, so I left, I only got the acting bug when I was 17. Mm. And that's when I left home. So I did a school musical called Me and My Girl in Bailey Bow Community School, as people do. Yeah. And I was playing like the second lead, like the funny part, um, playing this like uh, called Gerald. And I just thought it was absolutely the best crack ever. Like people were laughing. You're doing all your big, the whole backstage thing. I loved all oh, quick changes. Get that out there. Make sure you're going in. I'm quite like, not neurotic, but I'm very like, almost like stage managery in my head and like things need to be set up right mm-hmm. and everything's ready to go, cool. I'm not like rock up late and throw things on, walk off stage and walk on stage and realize, oh, I forgot the letter for Ro or for Juliet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so like being very particular about everything. Um so I enjoyed that whole aspect kind of got me into it. And then I decided then CEO forms I was like, well I wanna go to I didn't have the points or no I didn't have I hadn't I how did it work out? But I basically got accepted into geography and sociology in Trinity mm. and really enjoyed geography, hated sociology. I didn't like I should not have been there. I don't really have an interest in politics or politics of the past. I'm not big into history in general. Um, I don't like it's interesting to read about, but it, like I don't really have a love for it. Yeah. Um, so then I started just lived in the drama society and did like eight shows over nine months and was like, oh, I love this and went back and did my four years in drama and theatre in Trinity. Mm. And that's kind of when I was like, oh, I want to try and get into acting, specifically just that kind of acting and theatre. Yeah. Theatre yeah. especially.
1: Yeah. And it, what 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 was it about the, like, are you someone who, like, could you get the same buzz from, is it is it theatre for you? Like, is it the live audience aspect of it? And the, the...
2: Yeah, I think so. And the risk of that. Yeah. And the fact I just love, stories and stories that are told in one night like i like i saying, i love film i love to go watch film acting in film is not rewarding in a way um it's really hard work you're doing a few like you're doing your takes over and over again you're in your trailer ridiculously early in the morning you're leaving really late at night uh nothing's actually it doesn't feel like anything is actually real or has been done until you see the final edit and the director and the edit, the editor really have your performance in their hands. And a good editor, so they can like make a bad performance great or a great performance bad, like depending on the editor. Mm. Um, but it feels so out of your hands. Where if you're on stage and you've also you don't really rehearse in film, you turn up and you just do it. Mm. And it's that's kind of a bit of a strange album where I'm used to like doing my four weeks rehearsal with a whole cast. You're never nervous going into the first night because well you shouldn't be because. You've rehearsed it and you're confident that this is good. And we haven't like spent four weeks scratching our arse or whatever mm. that we're actually proud of this and I can't wait for an audience to see it. Um, and then the live performance elements, always like hilarious. The lights are on you. It's like, oh, Jesus, I forgot there was going to be lights in this and I can't really see the crowd. And we've been in a very, very bri- brightly lit rehearsal room for the past four weeks. And now we go into a dark room and there's a few people in and you can hear the odd cough. Phones vibrating uh, in people's pockets, which I always find to be way worse than the phone actually ringing. Yeah. It's like in your head, you're like, Is that is that someone's phone vibe is that zzzz- zzz- <laughs> it is, no it is. Someone oh shit, I'm 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 on here. Um yeah, the live performance definitely has a has its own thing. It's it's great doing it like there's nothing better than doing a good show. Yeah. That you, and you walk out afterwards into the bar or whatever, and you know that people have most people have really enjoyed it. And you love being been in it i say I love, like, all the... I tend to play, or certainly when I left college, played a lot of roles within one production. So I might have, like, nine costume changes a show. I remember the King Lear as just as um ensemble part. I did King Lear in Selena's King Lear mm. in the Abbey. And I had 12 costume changes over the show. Th- one of them, the quickest, was four seconds. And you're straight back on to a new scene. And that whole play acting, basically, of it all. I love, yeah, right. yeah. It's gas crack. If you get to put on a wig, ooh, that's great crack. If you get to cut your hair, dye your hair, if you've got to deal with that. Then in your real life, it's all gas. It's just it's 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 serious stuff. But it's always best when it's not taken too seriously. Mm. Like, do the job. Do the job well. But really enjoy yourself doing this it because it'll show.
1: In terms of your cinema going habits, what do you do? You have a are you a Cineworld person?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Or do you um? I've
2: had have had that unlimited card since two thousand six or seven, I think. So 11, 12 years now.
1: I mean, it's like it. It makes no sense when people don't have it. Who go? You know, if you go, Yeah, who go? Oh, yeah. if
2: you go, like I was living in Temple Bar for four years when I was doing drama theater, just at the bump Cow's Lane, kind of like the back of Smock Alley, mm. and. Oh, 10-minute walk over to Capel Street. I remember one time I'd seen, like, it have 17 screens, and at one point I'd seen every single film in the cinema, which would have been about 13 or 14 films, to anything of kids' animation films to um, horror films, which I love, drama, crap comedies, American comedies. like, um, But just go and see them constantly throughout the day. And rarely now do I find myself... In the cinema, in the evening times, mm. like always, always one o'clock, two o'clock. They're my like peak times. Hanging in the back row, World screen two, like yeah, drinking yeah, yeah. my bottle of water, and then strip my bike and head off home back to Rot mines. Yeah, no, totally.
1: I'm I'm with you there. What what I- then in terms of like um in terms of say work now? Do you how do you how do you decide, like, what you're gonna do? You know, it, just say someone comes to you, like, um, for yeah. example, you're doing the show on the fringe, and the guys come and they say, "Look, we love you to do this." You know, here's the script, whatever it is. How do you? Uh, what's your barometer for basically saying yes and no for things? Are you always yes, or are you trying to be picky about stuff? No,
2: I'm you. No, I'm usually a yes man, but there are certain things where certain types of shows that I would shy away from it a bit because I don't think I'd be right for them Mm -hmm. like I like comedies but I don't like massive over the top comedies I don't like melodrama I think you need to be a very particular kind of actor Uh, I don't like going to see melodramas because they're kind they're just tough they're like it's all very big and showy Mm -hmm. it's like watching Fair City on stage and I'm just kind of not into that sure Um, uh, usually I would say yes because in Ireland there's only so much stuff that gets put on. There's only so much stuff that actually casts anymore. Um, that hold auditions and that aren't the director comes in. It's like, well, I want this person, this person, this person. And like, if you're not one of those person, you're not one of those people. You're not going to get in. To see, you might do a better job. You might be. You might even. The director might even like hold auditions just to see new people, but have no actual plan to cast them in the current thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. Which can be helpful because it gets you in the room with the director. Absolutely. Sure. Um, but usually, I'll be, usually I would say yes. Yeah, if I'm free and I'm able to do it, absolutely. Profit, show, profit share shows are a bit tougher because originally, great idea, because you mightn't get asked to do a lot of work anyway because you're only starting off, you're just getting your face out there. But then I was caught a few times where you say yes to profit share shows and then like you rehearse for two and a half weeks and it's the last week, you're going to be going to tech soon and then you get offered... Like two properly paid gigs that start rehearsing halfway through the run, and you can't pull out with a profit share show because you've committed to that absolutely, and you can't leave them with a week and a half or a half a week mm. with no performer. Uh, but you're also not getting paid. And so now I kind of I don't try not to do profit share if I if if I can help it, because usually it's almost the same as booking a holiday. Something comes up. Yeah, totally. Something comes up that's paid that would have been good, or even like. I've, Two voiceovers in the space of the six-week rehearsal and show period, and that would they would be two one-hour slots in six weeks, can it get you more money than the show would have done throughout the thing. So it would have been better if you had done the VO and not the profit share. But some profit shares or some shows, you just want to play the character, and it's good to be able to hop on them and not be strapped for cash that you actually have to say no because you need to make real money
1: totally do you because of that because it's so real what you're saying about just the, the nature of in Ireland in particular I think you know where stuff often isn't uh, audition or whatever do you look do you look at the UK have you ever looked at the States as options as, to
2: emigrate no like I'd love in my head oh I'd love to be living in New York sure. I'd l- I love New York ever since I was a young child I was just like wide eyed oh my god this is unreal Um, and I'd love to be acting in New York I don't think it's a realistic viable option so that's that off I don't like London. I like visiting London. Great. I did a show there for a month in like April 2013, I think it was, or 2014. Um, And that was brilliant because you get to go over with a show. So you have the work already. Mm. Stay there for the month. Have a great time. And then go back home. But just... The London life, just growing up in the countryside and then moving to Dublin was so nice because Dublin is still so small mm. and you can get around Dublin in 50 minutes anywhere on my bike. And I just love the tight-knit community. I like the way you can bump into people on the street at any time. London, there's none of that. And that extends to large, large parts of walking around the street in London. No one bumps into each other. There's nothing funny ever happening in the street. No one's smiling. It's like, it's just very impersonal. It's a money town. Everyone's going to A A to B. It's easy to get around, but it takes a while to get around. Now they've got their crazy hot summers. Everyone's just like on edge in London. That I couldn't see myself wanting to move over there and start afresh. I am kind of know people in Dublin now. You know, like, everyone in the business. And it's such a help. As to London, you would be starting anew. And it's tough. Sure. sure, So I don't think I'm at that stage in my life where I want to... Pack up and pack up and move to London. Yeah, yeah. I'd, or anywhere else, because yeah, as an actor, you'd want to be going somewhere that speaks English. Mm. And I'm not going to Australia. Yeah, no.
1: Do you think you will? Can you see yourself? You know, as you get older, moving out back into the the countryside. Look, like, would do, would you have the the garage to go back to Cavan or somewhere like that? I don't. And I can really you don't and what, sorry what yeah commu- you know commuting up and back you see you know it's funny you're seeing seeing older actors and I suppose p- probably priced out of Dublin uh, you know oh as well. completely yeah like, yeah
2: yeah oh I've seen loads of them where they now live in some of them live up in Donegal or they live in Athlone Um and absolutely fair play to them, but they've got like families and stuff so they actually have to bring kids to school and raise them and all the money that goes into that whereas I don't have any of that responsibility right now so it's hard to see that mm-hmm five lucky rent situation in Rap Mines where I just don't pay a lot of rent and I've been there five and a half years and it's never gone up and I'm just Christ. sitting in a very nice place at the minute. Um I am I, I definitely could see myself going a bit more out to the suburbs. Mm. But moving to the suburbs doesn't mean it's gonna be cheaper in Dublin. Like people live out in Sandyford and they're paying crazy rents and I'm in a house in Rap Mines with my lovely fireplace and it's really cheap in comparison to everyone else. Totally. But it's temporary because I don't know when I'm going to get kicked out.
1: Sure. How, how uh, did how did it stay so low? It, Just a sound landlord?
2: Yeah. Who I've never met. Kathleen Muldoon. I love you. <laughs> uh, I've never met her. Um, I, know, I know she's no lady from hearing about the house manager comes in and fixes things around the house. And my mate, mate Ross and Matt, basically looked at the place we took it five and a half years ago and they have since kind of moved out moved in with their girlfriends we've new people to live with Jack and Danny hello um, but yeah they've just, just never gone up it's never gone up and now we're sitting in a good situation that if they want to raise the prices they can only go up by like 4% every two years or something which is absolutely fine by me like yeah. at the minute um, so it's hard to like I personally might want to live on my own at some point because I've never done that yeah but it's just not viable.
1: No, I mean, I'd At love all, you team. know what I mean? We all have these lovely things yeah. and I'd love
2: to live in a lovely, clean new house that was built like a year ago, but.
1: What's the cheapest you could live by yourself for in Dublin right now? Do you think you could do it for maybe, maybe 1,200 somewhere in a little um,
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, well I'm just checking my brain. Yeah, 1,200's actually a pretty decent number.
1: I'm a bit away from being able to like confidently afford 1200 100. as you said, without yeah. taking a day job, you which I don't go, have you either. You could
2: go under, you like rent wise, and then just living costs beyond that, like, you know, no, 12, anywhere between a grand and 1200 But then even then, you're like, you're certainly not going out a lot, you're not drinking in pubs a lot, you're cutting back on the amount of show tickets you're buying, things like that. Do you have to? Sure. You're certainly cooking at home every evening, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which I'm really bad at.
1: Right. You know that's the godsend about um the cinema card because like if you have that anyone doesn't know it's like a, it, it's like an all access card so you you know you pay a lump sum or you pay 21.99 a month, a month. and you're unlimited film so it's like no matter if you, I I always pay a lump sum um and like you know when I have the bit of cash and then like you're just sort like you never have a day where you can't do something you don't know yeah, I mean exactly, you can't yeah.
2: afford it. Even now with the introduction of 4DX have you gone to see film 4DX? Not yet. <laughs> So, I went to see Skyscraper with my friend Killian, and since then, then went to go see Mission Impossible Fallout uh, in 4DX, where your seats move, there's mist sprays from the back of the seat in front of you, rain falls from the ceiling if there's ever rain in the scenes. Uh, your, your chair vibrates. like When I say it moves, your chair moves like a roller coaster. It's like that Star Wars experience in Disneyland, right. but over Mission Impossible, was like two hours and 15 minutes. And you're like, like the whole last action sequence. You're being thrown around the place. Really? I don't know. I don't know why you don't get seatbelts, because they really do shake you around. It's a really strange experience. But if you don't really care that much about the film, it can be such a good laugh. Like, God. it's really funny. It's very expensive. But with my card, I just pay an extra five quid and I can go and see it. But the regional tickets are like somewhere between they're in around sixteen euro to actually go see them.
1: And what about if someone's bringing in like their popcorn or drink or whatever? What did it go flying?
2: So, the, the, before the film, they show you what 4DX is. You know in 3D, you put it on, they give you the wee 3D ad of the dog and the ball and it all comes at you, at you and it's all very cool. Yeah. had well, to do it with 4DX and my mate had just gotten the large popcorn and sat down then the thing started. <laughs> and it was just popcorn going everywhere. He <laughs> yeah. hadn't even taken a bit, so it was right to the top and was just being thrown around. And he was like, I think I don't think I can do this. He's like, no, no, you can Come on, we're doing this. We're doing this. Um. So, there's a, there is a bit of that. Yeah. Uh, but there is a place you can put your your drinks. I and mean, of course of course drinks when you have them in there always have the lids on them with the straw yes. so they're not gonna spill. Um but like there I saw a couple who who came in late and there was the opening of skyscraper and the first five minutes is a big action scene. And the seats are going crazy and you're just looking at them. How are they gonna get in their seats when they're just moving around and going up and down? You're yeah. like you just kinda gotta like throw yourself into the seat and you're just straight into it. Like it's, yeah, it's a very strange experience.
1: Epic. All right, okay, sweet. Let's give it another spin.
2: Yeah. Here we go.
1: Next out the gate, we have number 36. Do you have it?
2: Yes, I do. Nice one. There we go. What a beautiful X over that one.
1: Uh, sweet, number 36. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, kind of what we were talking about. Do you feel more comfortable in the city or the country?
2: Ooh. Um, probably the city. Because... I spent the first 17 years of my life living in Bailburn, Cavan, but I don't really count the first four or five years because you don't really remember the first sure. four or five years of your life. So that's already down to like 13 years and I've been in Dublin 13 years mm. um, and when I've been older and developing and learning things about the world. Um, so if you feel more comfortable in the city, anywhere I travel to, London, New York, any of the big city, I always prefer being in the city and walking around the city or riding a bike and cycling around the city because I just got so much of the countryside when I was young, mm. like so much of it. Uh, all holidays we went when I was young with my parents would be like, we used to have a caravan or really really young tents and go to Galway or up to Ross Trevor in County Down or Donegal or Westport. Um, so I've done all those county countryside holidays. Mm. that I know, I just kind of love cities now and being around people.
1: Yeah, it's funny. It's some uh,
2: people love the retreat of going into the middle of nowhere. I'm kind of just not into that, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, like it's it's interesting. I I I think. Yeah, I could see myself. I'd lo- like Ideally, I'd love to live six months in, in like, you know, Dumb City Centre, six months away. Yep, like my, yep. my There's a there's a tiny little house in my family that, that I, I'm lucky enough to have access to during the year if no one's up in it, and Donegal, and it's like, it's in the middle of nowhere, and I could literally go and, uh, you know, a cycle to the shop, and one of the days, do a big shop, and I, I literally, if I don't want to, I don't have to see anything for like 10 yeah, days. Yeah, and that, yeah, that yeah, for yeah. me, that is
2: bliss. Bliss, yeah. I love it. You see, I'd be... I'd like it, but i just get a bit tetchy and be like, oh, what's everyone else at?
1: I uh, Yeah, no, I get you. And it's funny because <laughs> when, earlier when you were talking about, you know, uh, Rap is a great example of it, actually, because so many people, you know, be buzzing around, loads of actors in that area. Mm. Um, But, like, th- there's something I th- that I think I'm attracted to about London. Maybe for the first time I'm starting to think about it a little bit. Kind of mm. what you're talking about, just, like, you look around here and you're like, gosh, you know, I, my, I have so few auditions and you Yeah, know, exactly. Yeah, you know, the like, options. Yeah, yeah, you just just options, I suppose. Yeah, and there's uh, like, but there's something about the anonymity of it that I think I would find hard and probably scary and lonely. But also something very comforting about like I know I'm not gonna bump into anyone.
2: Yeah, you see, yeah. I think people always mention this. I just love bumping into people anyway. Yeah, no, I just love it. Uh, so I don't have that. Even even if I'm hungover, or whatever. As long as it, yeah, because I don't, I don't, I don't think I've any big bad blood with people who are walking around it's like, oh no, there's your one, there's your man. Yeah um at all. So I just love just bumping into anyone, chat. If you need to go, just say it to them, you need to go. And you don't need to have the whole Larry David stop and chat the last like ten minutes. It sure. can just be a little hello or whatever. That I kind of enjoy that. I don't know, it's a bit self rewarding or something like
1: just Yeah, you're you're a very like lovely, friendly person.
2: Were you always like that like outgoing kind of a good conversationalist? Um well when, when I was young I was qu- kinda quiet. Now I did mess a lot in school definitely but I was still did my homework as soon as I went home in the door like always homework 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 first mm. and then outside where's the ball mm. um but I like I never was like smoking in school didn't my first drink till I was like till the after party of that musical I was in mm. uh bottle of bud um mm. and yeah little things you hear like stories of people like some my Dublin mates would be like oh yeah because you live in a city you can get away from your parents a bit and you can go to in Cavan. you can't do that if you're in town everyone and my dad is a local GP mm. everyone knows you right. that's it you're the Halligan son you're the doctor son uh, you can't do anything mischievous because people will it'll, it'll get back to your parents or whatever so was, I was very like Straight lace Run of the mill I think maybe that's what I loved Then when I moved from Dublin It was like Right shackles off Let's, sure. let's get to work here With a crack
1: Yeah like 17 is young To move out. It is
2: yeah 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 oh, There's load like I had some friends Recently who are still Living with their parents Who are 26 You know 27 Now mm. um, the other people move back They're saving money For and Things like that But some people Who just like their par- They live in Ranla that's where Their parents were And they've lived at home In Ranla for years And all the four years In college They were living at home mm. I kind of loved that I got to be about age 17. Now, all my, all my uh, siblings did, and my parents were used to that. Um, but I loved it. It was just like, now here I am living at the age of 17. I wasn't even 18 till the, the March of my first year. Right. So even trying to get into places, or yeah, or yeah, like yeah. do you have an age card? It's like, no, I don't have an age card. Why would I have an age card at 17? It's useless to me. Yeah, I
1: can't even grow a beard
2: to cover it up. Yeah, now, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, right. yeah. Here we go.
1: <laughs> uh, number three, do you have it? No. Nope. No worries. Number three. Nope. Uh who is one person who has uh, in particular helped you along in your career? Um
2: helped me along in my career. Um I guess let me think of when I was really young. Um I guess my my two of my best mates actually, mm. uh Matt Smith and Ross Dungan. Ross written many plays that I've been in. Um he wrote The Life and Sword of Death of Eric Argyle once we left college. I worked with him. Mink, I was in like three of his shows in college, in the drama society. And then Ross is an amazing writer. And then when he left, he did The Life and Sword of Death of Eric Argyle, which uh, I was in. And Matt maybe produced it, or did eventually get involved in 15 Doke, his name is Theatre Company. Mm-hmm. And that's Matt produced loads of stuff, and Matt has uh, put me forward for loads of things. Uh, they come see me and everything. If they're not involved in, tell me about it. What's right, wrong, uh, and because they obviously work within the industry themselves, we both we have just very similar tastes in comedy and drama, and they've been very good with just even if it's simple as <laughs> getting me an audition for a thing or Ross write me a part. I've been in three, I think, since leaving, uh, and we've got to tour. Like Eric Argall went to Edinburgh Fringe Festival, Dublin Fringe Festival, Soho Theatre in London, Off Broadway in New York. And uh, Smock Alley again for like a two week run, uh, which was just amazing. Totally great opportunity. Like if I didn't know Ross and drum studying players, I would not have been in in that show at all. Um, so they've been definitely great help because they're literally writing me the roles.
1: Sure, yeah. Is writing something that you've had an interest in?
2: Never. No. Interesting. No, I don't know. Like my dad loves to write in his spare time, writing poetry. No one else in my family really are big readers or writers I think well my brother Jack is um he write he reads um a lot um but no I've just never I d- I took playwriting in my third year in Trinity and I just found it so tough mm. I love being handed a script and then getting lost in their story as opposed to writing my own story I don't know I think I lose the magic of then wanting to be in it or something sure um and I much prefer being in stuff that yeah. Uh, not yet anyway. Yeah, not yeah. Not yet. Dreams yeah. always like I'm going to write this incredible one-man show. It's going to be a lad set in it's going to be set in Cavan and uh, he's going to play loads of characters in it. And You're like this has been done and <laughs> it's it's too it's too obvious yeah, and I yeah. just don't I'd sooner write a short film script or screenplay than I would a uh, theater piece. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's funny, yeah, because I, 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 I write a lot, but I have come to that, like, realisation. I, I much prefer writing screenplays and teleplays than, than than, plays. Yeah. It's really funny. I think it's because that when I write theatre, I always do it with the... I've written two plays, and I'm in the second draft of it, a third play, but I, I kind of write it, and I, I can't get it... The, the profit, the fact that I'll probably end up having to do this myself out of my head. Yeah. So I write very small, very conservative. Yeah. Whereas with film and TV, like I've written a web series, done that myself, that was fine. But again, it was small because I knew we had fuck all money to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. With. Yes. But whereas Hold if you're writing back. like, you know, a spec, like a, a you know a pilot or something, you can kind of just like, like I, I can't afford to do this myself. So I'll just balls to the wall. Like, here it is, you know. And it's very liberating. Yeah, because
2: you know? I think that is, you're saying like, say having a budget like it can really hold people back if you're writing a play always think you should definitely this advice I just heard from other writers of like you know, write it the way you think it should be done mm. it can be pared back in production a director might take and go okay you've all these big it's set in 10 different venues and we're trying to put this on stage it's going to be tough we don't need really a big set a good director would be able to make that work absolutely but you shouldn't go in handing them a lesser draft of what you kind of want but yeah there's there's only two actors i really wanted 10 actors but there's only two it's always better to write what you want done and then if it gets to production things it can always pair back totally. as opposed to start lowering your bar immediately because then everyone else has to lower their bar probably based on because you've lowered the bar and they're even, even lower again it's always money it's always money um that you should just go for what's in your head. If it's set in the crystal maze, it's set in the crystal maze. And if someone has to build an Aztec zone, they have to do it or else do it through sound or just be clever about it in other different ways.
1: Sure. In terms of when you get writing or you see writing, what is it for you that grabs you or what is it that makes a, you know, a brilliant piece of writing stand out for you?
2: Um, The characters. Mm. The characters immediately. Like if you read a play and you're like, oh, I'd love to play all these characters, men, women, dogs, whatever. Um that's when you know it's, oh, the audience are going to love this. Mm. Characters the character is so drawn out. The conflict that they all have is so interesting or it's funny um, that you know it's going to be rewarding for an audience feeling that for the first time. Um, I also think a good ending is really important mm-hmm. because a good ending validates the rest of the show. Some plays that, like, have two endings or... The ending is just like an afterthought. It's like, okay, the, all the main dramas happened. Now let's just have someone say a line in the spotlight and we'll just end with a mysterious ending. Can really not not work in your favor at all. Something with a really lovely, succinct ending, even if it's bookmarking from the uh, be- something that happens at the beginning to the end or whatever kind of style it's done in, mm. having a very good ending can really, like... Make the, leave people leaving more confident that what they saw was good Yeah. instead of going like I didn't really like the ending but the beginning bits were nice or oh I didn't like the first half or oh, I didn't like the first half but the second half after the interval was nice it's like did you only like the second half because it was like 30 minutes long and yeah. the first half was like an hour and 10 minutes <laughs> yeah that might be it actually yeah yeah uh, yeah good ending but mainly the characters mm, mm. of course if there's a character in it like when I did Ross's as I was talking to you before ross's uh before monsters were made we did upstairs in the project before touring with it uh it was a thriller on stage but also the character for me the part of graham this kind of young guard out in Balanan and mayo and he's alone lives on his own he, he's he relies on his family for like self-assurance constantly and as the play progresses he begins to realise that actually he's going to be alone all his life and maybe he didn't want to be alone all his life and it's all getting very real and he's getting very down. It was just such a good arc for that character. Mm. Um, Also, within that thriller play he was kind of seen as maybe the red herring as the lad who might have, it's about a kid going missing uh, and that he might be the the baddie, should mm, we say. Mm. Um, and it turns out he's not. He's just very, very sad. Um, but that was a really good arc. You could totally see it written, written so well from beginning to end that I was like, brilliant. I cannot wait to play this part. Yeah, totally. And you get lost in it immediately. You don't even almost think about the other characters. Mm, mm. They're, just a, they're just there. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Right, Speed, you've time for one more. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Number...
2: Number nine, do you have it? Oh, that's the number I picked. Go on. Oh, nice. A strong
1: finish. Yeah. Very strong finish. You Lo- said you like good endings. There you go. Yeah. Um kind <laughs> of oh, nice way to uh, end it. In your industry, who is uh, a person or people that you would love to work with?
2: Work with? Yeah. Um. Well, I've never worked with Dead Centre. Mm. And I'm really liking their style of theatre that it's not very run of the mill it's not your beginning middle and end they could easily as they did like with Lippy open with the ending or the post show talk the, mm-hmm. e- the afterwards of the ending of the play um, there's good buzz about seeing their productions that um, like Chekhov's first play everyone going in and putting on the headphones and all of a sudden the the seconds dismantle halfway through and it starts to get a bit more meta um, I just love that kind of new any kind of new fresh kind of thing that's not people sitting in a room, although I do love, like I've never worked with Druid. Mm. I'd love to work with Druid because they do seriously good family dramas. Yeah. Really good family dramas, uh, set in the countryside, which always helps. Um, not set in North, inner City, Dublin. Yeah. Um, that Yeah, I'd love to work with Druid, dead centre because of their kind of wacky nature um, and because I've always loved their shows. They, that's like a good reason is I need to work with a theatre company. I've never worked with Corn Exchange uh, and their Comedia dell'arte style uh, that they've kind of gone away from in recent productions. Um, but I've never done that. So mm. that would be like an amazing thing I'd love to do. As do, like, a specific director, I don't think I have one. Mm. Um, director-wise, like, I've worked with lots, a lot of directors. What already. makes it a great director for you? Um, someone who's able to convince you of a new way of doing something at the drop of a hat of like that you haven't thought of mm. uh, because you're either too stupid or you've gone so narrow-minded into know this is the way it is and then if someone asks you to do something else it's like no 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 but if they explain it's like no but you think that maybe this is why that he wants to ask her out on a date this is the way he would do it you're like, okay, let's run it. And it immediately starts to feel right. Mm. A good director can manipulate a performance because they're looking at the greater picture. Whereas a lot of times you're not. You're focusing on the character and the other character in the scene and how that is interacting. And obviously the stagecraft of it. But the director is looking at the bigger picture and they can see, for example, where you're standing on stage and where it's best to move you to, to heighten the reaction you've chosen. Um, so someone who can, like, move you around a stage through just explaining or using less examples of situ- real-life situations to, to open, just expand your mind about a certain character that you haven't thought of, as opposed to, like, the worst production I've ever been in that I hated. It's, like, the only production I've ever regretted being in was when I was 17, just moved to college. I was in Two Gentlemen of Verona and I was playing one of the gentlemen that's what got me onto coffee uh, up to like 5am trying to learn I think at 4 soliloquies I was playing Proteus and I just was not ready for this at all I was this young lad from Cavan who's been on stage twice before Mm. and now I'm like one of the gentlemen in in Shakespeare play and I've no idea what I'm saying how I'm meant to be saying it and all the director did was pointed at one door and was like so you're going to enter from there and you're going to exit over there okay okay let's give it a shot like oh my god this is brutal and she yeah. was like a fourth year drama student and I was like a first year geography and sociology Egypt. Um so yeah that's not what I like in directing yeah totally totally Be able to grounding character or ideas that they have in reality in mm-hmm. a human way is great If they're, it's all about the way they tell it yeah like great directors like Ronan Phelan did um, before Monster Made the rehash of it and I just loved it, the way he deals with trying to convince you of reasons Mm. like he's very good with people if they're very good with people they'll be very good usually at getting people to do what they want
1: yeah totally uh last question if there's a along those same lines in your industry is there like a is like a hollywood name a hollywood director actor actress whatever it might be you know in in that ridiculous
2: turn of circumstances that it it happened um um well i loved like ryan johnson who did brick then he did the recent Star Wars, but I don't think any director should be necessarily be judged off big blockbuster movies because mm. they only have so much of a hand in it. Really, so much of his down to special effects team, stuntmen, and set design and things mm-hmm. like that. Ryan Johnson's Brick, I absolutely loved. It was one of the first films I saw in Sydney World. I think when I moved up, mm. it was like this is class. Um, and then he directed I think the penultimate episode of Breaking Bad season five, yeah. and it was one of my f- I think it's the best episode. Um shit really hits the fan and I was like that's and then I saw his name at the end I was like ah I could definitely see him doing that he's so good I'd love to work with him or Jeff Nichols Mm. who did really like Jeff, Jeff Nichols stuff there's a few young directors who are coming up um Oh, Denis Villeneuve is, or Denis Villeneuve yeah. is... Um, I'm a
1: big Taylor Sheridan fan. The, oh, yeah. The writer of yeah. The, yeah. those. Yeah. The Sic- like Sicario, and that's Dennis yeah. Villeneuve. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Uh, he's done some brilliant, brilliant stuff. It's great. Um, like, he mixes great drama with spectacular visuals. Like, amazing visuals. Uh, And I'm not into superhero movies at all, so I don't really go into those type of things. Like, it'd be great to work with Christopher Nolan, but... I don't care, <laughs> really.
1: <laughs> Perfect, man. Uh, man, Haligan, thanks for playing personality bingo. No um, will you do me a favour? Will you, because um, you're doing a show with the brilliant um, Bombinate? would you do me a favour and um, tell us about that? Because it's going to be at this year's Dublin Fringe Festival. Uh, um, people need to know. Uh,
2: yeah, so I'm doing Susie and the Story Shredder. It's on the, fir- uh, the two weekends during the Fringe. It's part of the Young Radicals, key, uh, Young te- theatre for young audiences that I think Kate Ferris is running this year. Mm. Um so we're doing it in the Project Cube. Uh, it's September eighth and ninth, and then the fifteenth, sixteenth. So we have w- only one show on the Saturday and Sunday in the first week, each day, and then double show in the following week. Um, so it'll be a nice short run. We did ten shows in five libraries over the last two weeks, and it's great. It's about Susie. Is this st- setting like a kingdom far, far away? Susie is a story destroyer. She shreds stories because the king, King Levi, in the kingdom of Levitas, who I play. Uh, hate stories because he struggled to write them when he was younger. So he just decided, if I can't write them, no one can. We're banning stories. and I'm hiring these story sh- destroyers and they're going to shred all the stories and that's it. And obviously, as the play progresses, he begins to understand his mistake and Susie begins to understand what she's doing is actually bad. Uh, we have a shredder on stage that has that sh- to shred stories, which I've been voicing for now. I'm not sure how exactly we're going to be doing it in the production, whether or not we're going to record me doing it or I'm going to be. In the shredder, mm. uh, voicing it, we'll see how that pans out. Excellent, uh, yeah, but it's for people age five plus, all the way up to like 10, 11, 12, I think, basically primary school uh, mm. kids. Um, and there's lovely bits where we get them involved in and things like that that you have to do in kids' theatre. And that's always absolutely hilarious because it's always the bit as an actor, you've everything learned off, everything's going perfectly and then you turn to the kids and you ask them a question and it's the moment where your heart twice it goes twice as fast. You're like, what is this kid going to say? If they're not going to say anything, that's almost just as bad because you kind of want to get something out of them and they're there with their parents and they're getting very nervous. Is there any other like, confident kid? and Oh God, this kid's too confident. Oh God, he's making <laughs> a fool of me. What am I doing here? Um... That's absolutely great crack about kids' theatre. Like, I love
1: it. Totally, totally. Oh, well, it sounds great, so, um, especially for people.
2: Oh, yeah, it's done by Bombinet bomb Theatre Company. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Wonderful. It's Ursula McGinn and... Ursula McGinn and Molly Malumbi. Yeah. Yeah, Molly's directing it and Ursula is doing all the bits and bobs. Michael David McKernan's doing the sound design. Uh, Claude Mooney Duggan is in it playing Susie. I play the other three or four characters in it and Ursula's putting together all the set, the props kind of like the chief stage manager of the whole thing or production manager I guess yeah sweet
1: that's a team of rocks there so that'll be great
2: Manus Halligan thanks for being personality bingo thanks for having me So guys,
1: that was Manus Halligan playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. Manus, if you're listening, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. Uh, and best of luck with the show. I am excited to see it. Uh, in other news... Uh, yeah, well, actually, not loads of other news. and um, We just finished up our run of Copperface Jackson musical, uh, and I have some time off, um, which is always that weird time as an actor when you're coming off stage. Uh, so it's been really nice to to go from, I guess, the high-octane stuff of just kind of shows at the Olympia to uh, getting away and travelling um, solo. It's been really fun, really liberating i already just learned a lot about the logistics of getting around europe kind of by yourself uh, but it's actually all been relatively fine so far and uh, met loads of cool people doing loads of cool things and um, seeing lots um enjoying myself too definitely uh i think i've had multiple beers every single day which is uh, lovely um and uh yeah so it's all very very bizarre i have no flight booked home i'm kind of just waiting until i need to come home or i run out of money so um it's all lovely I have to say I'm having a great little time away here And um, yeah we've got another few podcasts ready to go So I don't have to worry about that too much um, As always uh, a few thank yous um, The biggest one to the wonderful Aaron Lindsay For mixing, editing and producing the podcast A massive thank you to you Aaron uh, Also a huge thank you to Liam Moore and Anthony Manley For the brilliant theme music To Conan Nolan for the beautiful artwork And as always to Alan, Oli- uh, Alan Bennett and Paddy O'Leary I was making, I was combining them What a combination that would be uh, well they are, kind of are combined because they work so well together in keeping the Headstuff podcast family together and headstuff.org in general go check out all the brilliant blogs and articles and podcasts and all the wonderful stuff over at headstuff.org uh, other than that guys please tune back in next week with Tom Morin. Tom Moran's personality below Tom
0: Moran's personality
2: If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to HeadStuff Plus.